This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Carol Puckett. Good morning, Singing Carol. <laughs> Good morning, Mal. I mean, how can you not sing to Cinnamon Girl? And we'd like to welcome Neil Young to the show, as well yeah. as John Chapman. It's a good crowd this morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, it's it's a big week for you, so tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> sure. This is my last week at the Mississippi Arts Commission as a uh, public servant. Uh, Wednesday is my last day, 30th day of September, and I will be returning to the private sector from which uh, I came, and I'm looking forward to it, and I have enjoyed my time serving the people of Mississippi, the 2.9, I like to call them, 2.9 million people who are our neighbors, our family, our friends, and our fellow Mississippians. It has been a joy and a treat, but I look forward to the next chapter uh, turning the page, as they say. And Carol, thanks to you for all of your good support during this long journey of 15 years as a public servant. That is unbelievable. I mean, it seems like yesterday. Wasn't it right after Katrina? Well, you yes. This Katri- move? That's right. Katrina was in August, August. Of, uh, 2005, and I took over the Arts Commission in October the, on October the 1st, 2005, with this big idea that no recovery was complete without the recovery of your arts, culture, and story. And that was sort of the mantra that got me chosen and selected to uh, head up the Arts Commission. I thought I would do it for maybe three years to get us through Katrina. Uh, I did it for seven, then moved over to become your state tourism director for three years. And then I returned to the Arts Commission uh, four years ago, and I have finished up my tenure. And it's been great. So, uh, well, it's been great for the people of Mississippi, but I did want to touch back on uh, on Katrina. I think the Mississippi Arts Commission did an absolutely heroic job with the artist and saving as much of the art as possible, but also with planning for the next disaster. And the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'd really like you to talk about this. Has, has become a beacon for other states. I mean, you are the go-to people at the Mississippi Arts Commission for disaster planning. Well, we were in a uni- very unique position in that at the time that Katrina came ashore, <clears throat> it was the largest natural disaster in the history of our country. Now, that has changed as we have gotten rather used to natural disasters on a regular basis. But at that moment, Katrina uh, was, the, was the monster of them all And so we were able to tap into a sort of global effort to respond uh, to a disaster that really focused on three states, uh, Mississippi being right in the middle of it. So we were able to talk a lot about uh, arts preparedness, arts ready, 
being prepared for disasters of all sorts, whether they're natural disasters, uh, they could be financial disasters, they could be political disasters. All sorts of things can happen to these nonprofit arts organizations and to artists. Uh, and so that was an interesting time, and we learned a lot, uh, and we did become a part of a natural consortium for disaster recovery that still exists and Mississippi still has a voice and a role there. But that was a very interesting time. And then that work led into the work of the creative economy uh, and, and other uh, bits and pieces of, of that time. But I tell you, my, uh, my wife cooked me a beautiful retirement cake uh, yesterday. I saw uh, it. I saw <clears throat> on cooking and coping. Would this be the Hellman's mayonnaise cake? It is a it, it is a Hellman's mayonnaise cake, a chocolate layered cake with uh, with a nice frosting, a, a vanilla frosting, which my granddaughter decorated the top with various colors of sprinkle, uh, and it she refers to it uh, as a unicorn poop cake. So there oh, you go. Well, there you go. I, I guess I can't compete with that, but I'm very much looking forward to the end of quarantine when. Yeah. When uh, when I can celebrate your your birthday, I mean your, your retirement with some of your some of your friends, but I can't compete with you. No, well, that you know, words from the mouth of a four year old. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. So we had we had retirement cake all weekend. We also uh, we were so happy with uh, Kara's uh, lemon chicken soup last week. She made it again this week and uh, knocked it out of the park again. Lemon chicken, barley, mixed greens, and a and a chicken broth, just a magnificent soup with carrots and celery. Which she also made me a shrimp scampi last night uh, while I was watching the Saints lose. Uh, speaking of tailgating, we'll be talking a lot about football and sports and tailgating today with our friend John Currents from uh, Oxford, Mississippi. Yes, we will. And in fact, I was doing some pre-cooking and pre-thinking, knowing John was coming up uh, this week. My John Palmer was having a, quote, hankering for shrimp and grits the other day. And so immediately I thought of my favorite shrimp and grits, which are city grocery shrimp and grits. And, you know, Malcolm, I had just forgotten how good that I want to say how darn good instead of what I really want to say that that dish is. And I had forgotten about the grits because sometimes when I make it, I just, you know, use grits. But I, I went by the recipe and it has a very heavy dose of paprika, which I'm coming to love. I mean, a big, big dose. It, it's not hot, but it gives it a, a flavor that is just unbelievable. Now, is this recipe in the Big Bad Breakfast book of John's, this, or the? Actually, it was. I got it out of Square, uh, the Square Table book, oh, okay. which I happened to. I just happened to have uh, in the kitchen at Edwards, and it was City Grocery Grits. But I highly recommend dumping a big tablespoon and a half of paprika in your next pot of grits. Well, that sounds great. You know, City Grocery is really the first place I saw shrimp and grits in Mississippi. Of course, I had eaten it in the low country in South Carolina where it was birthed, but uh, I had not eaten it in a Mississippi establishment until John Currents was, uh, started serving it at City Grocery. Well, it really came on the scene back in Chapel Hill, North 
Carolina with Bill Neal, who was, you know, sadly left us too early, but was really one of, of the first to elevate our Southern dishes. And uh, John Currens actually had the honor of working with Bill Neal when he was a student or hanging around Chapel Hill. So he, you know, put his own twist in it. But I mean, what a great place to learn to cook was, you know, at the feet of the master, Bill Neal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a shout out to Bill. You know, the State Fair is coming up next week, October 7 through 18, down at the Mississippi State Fairgrounds. I'm, uh, I, I know that was a controversial call to, to have the State Fair. But uh, one thing that is always a big, big deal about the State Fair, and that is the food. So I was unable to reach uh, our correspondent, Chef Flambeau, for today's uh, show, but I'll get him on the phone next week and get him down to the fairgrounds to get a full report on the food at the State Fair. Yes. Yeah, we really need a man on the Midway report. Yes. That's what I say. And and Chef Flambeau knows the State Fair like you and I know our middle names. And uh, he he gave us a great report last year, as I recall. Yes, he uh, did. From, from down there. Now, also, we are wrapping up National Hunger Awareness Month. Uh, there will be a link to the podcast about the great program called Sunshine for All, where the Dole Company, the company that sells bananas and pineapples uh, and uh, other fruits and vegetables, has partnered with Mississippi's own uh, Edwards native chef Nick Wallace, uh, the Food Network's chop champion, Nick Wallace. He will be helping with nutrition and food insecurity uh, issues around the state of Mississippi for kids and families. So uh, be on the lookout for the Sunshine for All program and more good work at the hands of Chef Nick Wallace. Uh, Malcolm, you know, this program is really piloting in Jackson from what I understand. And I know our mayor, Mayor Lumumba, has been really involved in that. But Jackson is a very unique food situation. It, it's a real food desert, right. as they call them, that there are only 20 grocery stores, although we have 70 fast food restaurants and 60 convenience stores and 150 gas stations selling food. But, you know, the result is that we in Jackson on all national surveys are one of the most unhealthy cities in America. So I'm really hoping that this will help, especially kids, because some of it's centered in the boys and girls clubs, you know, to help them develop habits and, uh, you know, learn that foods and vegetables are our friends and have access to them. And I spend a lot of time with my grandkids uh, showing them how, uh, food is grown and where it comes from. And my, my granddaughter and I planted a uh, winter vegetable garden uh, over the weekend. And it was really interesting, the questions that she asked me about lettuce uh, and salad uh, and, and, and how it starts as a seed and becomes a plant and then ends up uh, on, the, uh, on our dinner table. So it's fascinating and, and lots of work needs to be done. And I applaud uh, Nick Wallace uh, and the Dole Company uh, for, for and, and the mayor's office for piloting that here in Jackson, Mississippi. And I think we need to check in with them as it goes along because there's so many other partners like Footprint Farms is right. providing, you know, produce and Smoothie King and 
yeah, other local vendors and local entrepreneurs. So let's let's keep up with that. Well, we need to get Nick back on because we haven't talked to him in a while about his uh, uh, what he's doing over in Natchez with Tate Taylor around the Church Hill community. Last time we had him on, he was telling us about uh, a restaurant uh, that they're working on over there. And it's always good to check in with Nick and, and see what's going on. So also for our listeners uh, in Northwest Mississippi, I'll be speaking tomorrow night, Tuesday night at Northwest Mississippi Community College uh, on a program sponsored by uh, the Humanities Council. It is a program around rural America and the uh, sort of realities of rural America. And I'll be talking about food and food waste at six o'clock tomorrow, Tuesday on the Northwest Mississippi Community College campus, I'll be talking about Deep South Dining. I'll be talking about food and foodways. I'll be talking about comeback. I'll be talking about how the tamale came to the Delta and all kind of fun stuff. If you're in that area, love to see your face. All right, Carol. I reckon we ought to take a break here and get ready for our special Let's do guest. it. All right. When we return, we will talk to the one and only John Curran, chef uh from Oxford, Mississippi. He's actually from New Orleans, but uh, he's been in Oxford so long, we tend to think of him as our very own. He's coming off his first football game of the season, and we'll talk to him about his brand new book. It's just full of game day eats and great recipes. Tell great how to crush it at tailgating. So we will dive into the new book and his efforts to keep people fed during the pandemic, see how his restaurants are doing, in Oxford, so stay tuned. Did a contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Right here on MPB Think Radio, Malcolm White with Carol Puckett, listening to a little Freddie King called Butterscotch. It's a sweet sort of Monday morning, Carol. We've been with Cinnamon Girl and now with Butterscotch. How are you doing, Carol? I'm doing great. I, I really think Jabba loves us on the days that he puts this great music on. Well, you know, he's a DJ by, uh, you know, by heart. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's a producer. By trade, he's a producer, but he's also a DJ, man. So he knows all about this stuff. Yeah, thanks, Java. We appreciate it. Carol, why don't you introduce our very special guest this morning? Well, that's not hard to do because John Currents is someone that I have known for a long time and admired for even longer. John comes from the city of New Orleans. He came to Oxford 20-some years ago and has really transformed the landscape, the culinary landscape uh, of Oxford. And he, he really is the impetus for it being, quote, the food capital of Mississippi. And um, I must say that I got to be in the audience at the James Beard Awards the night that he won Best Chef of the South. And it, it was a very emotional moment for all of us from Mississippi and all the people that love John. 
his his restaurants are legendary. The great city grocery. Uh, although my favorite is Big Bad Breakfast because I love a good breakfast. But Bouray and Snack Bar, and then his catering company. But we're talking today about the the new book Tailgate and. It's kind of the answer. I've been following him all through the quarantine and, you know, wishing him the best. But golly, to come out with the book at this time and be working on that at the same time, trying to save your restaurants and hold hold everything together. Hey, John, how'd you do it? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, you've known me long, long enough to know that if somebody's going to figure out a dumb way to do something, it's going to be me. And and putting a book out on tailgating in the middle of the plague is about the dumbest thing that you could do. But <laughs> yeah, you know, here we are, and we've got this beautiful. We're we're trying to win some football and win some parties in Oxford, and uh, you know, we're we're making the making the best that we can out of this. Well, John, this past uh, Saturday uh, was the first Ole Miss home game, and uh, I saw a lot of video from the Grove where there were no people, uh, no tailgates, uh, no food being served. It was uh, it was quite stark uh, and sobering. But tell me how uh, your businesses did uh, with the first game with, I guess, what was, uh, what, 25% capacity at the stadium was all that was allowed? Uh, correct. Uh, you know, when you, when you talk about, uh, 25%, you know, they had about 17 or 18,000 folks that, uh, that they allow in the stadium. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how many were actually there, you know, but that means there was still, uh, you know, that many more people in town, uh, you know, than, than would have been here. Otherwise, uh, there was a, there was a, you know, a, a, a good, um, sort of feeling of of excitement around town. I mean, traffic was just bananas on Friday. Uh, it looked, you know, as if it were any other uh, football game weekend. Uh, but you know, the the, the seats, uh, you know, in the restaurants, I think across the board, uh, didn't necessarily reflect that. But you know, we're also, uh, you know, we we exist hard in the uh, in the fine dining scheme, and so. You know, we're at the, you know, at the, the, the sort of top end uh, or the lowest total number of seats used, uh, you know, in restaurants on a, on a football game weekend where we, you know, we all normally win by default because there are people in town. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't see the, the kind of numbers that, that, that we normally do. But, you know, again, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to be optimistic throughout this whole thing and that, you know, we're we're survivors and uh, problem solvers. Uh, by profession and that we're going to figure out a way to get through this. And, and that's what we've done from the beginning. And that's what we're still trying to do. Well, I see that you've done a number of things uh, with, with the restaurants during the, the plague, as you say. And uh, I'm very interested that, that you're, you're doing the pop-ups again. Tell us about that. Well, you know, again, this is a, you know, a, a, a way to, to to try to you know generate some sort of income to to offset the you know the cost of of keeping as many of our people employed as we possibly can, which you know we've uh, you know we have rehired everybody who was you know was willing to come back to work, and our workforce looks uh, very similar to what it did um, you know before the, the the shutdown came, and so you know the pop ups were just a way of generating some more seats, generating something of uh, of a little more. 
uh, interest. Uh, you know, again, back to dumb ideas that I had. You know, my business partner and I uh, have been working the last several months on uh, purchasing the uh, the local tennis club uh, here in town. And I mean, again, <laughs> of course you are. Pretty stupid from the, uh, the outside. It has to. <laughs> Um, but that's where, where one of the pop-ups weekend, um, and we had great, um, and so, you know, you know, we're, we're cockroaches trying to, to, to find a little bit of food in the, uh, in the post-apocalyptic landscape that's out there right now. Well, John, explain to our listeners what a pop-up is for those who have never popped up. Um, so a pop-up, pop-up concepts, uh, you know, really gained traction uh, a, a decade or so ago, and it's it's when a a restaurant or a, a chef who, who doesn't necessarily normally have uh, a brick and mortar place to go to work every day uh, can take his his concept and pop it up somewhere that is is unexpected. Lots of times, it's not usually a restaurant setting. But all of a sudden, somebody who is typically serving out of a truck or doing catering out of their home, uh, you know, sets up a restaurant for for a one night show, and and then it's just gone as as soon as it was there. It's kind of like the circus coming into town, <laughs> <laughs> or the state fair. Yeah, in, in our <laughs> right. Case. Okay, well, you launched the book literally a few weeks ago. How? How do you promote a book during the pandemic, during the plague? This is your, what, third book? Yes, ma'am. Uh, okay, so, is, so you, and, uh, you've done the show and, before. Yes. Oh, I mean, I've been around the block. I've, you know, I have, I have run all over the country, pimping the hell out of, uh, out of two books in the past and going from city to city to city, you know, making, you know, 40, 50, 60 stops per tour. Um, and this year, all of a sudden, there's no tour. Um, and I'm not going to lie to you. It's a blessing. I've never been happier in my entire life. Uh, because all of that is, uh, you know, was, was, uh, was, was shut down. And so it's really been left to us to design ways uh, to, to, to promote the book. And so we've, you know, we've pursued friends like you all, uh, you know, folks that are that are in the the business of media, um, that are looking for content uh, to uh, to help us tell the story. And the fact that it's just the timing is so bad, um, you know, folks are just sort of tickled by it. But at the same, you know, this idea of tailgating that we're kind of trying to mold into home gating, uh, because that's what's going on. Uh, you know, has has given us you know sort of a new opportunity, and so as a result, like this past weekend, you know, if they if they cut some B roll, um, you know, to my front yard, we put up a tailgate in, in my front yard and and kept you know twenty people there, sort of coming and going uh, at all times throughout the game uh, and the uh, and the afternoon and evening games, and so you know we had this sort of responsibly distanced tailgate that looked like any other normal tailgate just going on in our front yard and it was a blast our home gating uh, i wanted to read just a, a sentence or two from the forward of the book because ladies and gentlemen this is not your normal nostalgic uh, tailgating uh, 
books. And Wright Thompson, who wrote the Ford, said, as the beneficiary of many a meal cooked by John, let me say that this book isn't just a way to stroke your nostalgia. No, this book is a blunt object, a weapon that will dramatically improve your tailgate game. And it is indeed a blunt object. The recipes are so bold. And, you know, you kick it up a notch on, on some old ones. But, you know, I've never, never really thought of doing Indian food for tailgating. And, you know, that, that's my next horizon. Some delicious-looking, easy recipes. Well, you know the the thing that is uh, that's interesting that I that I go into a, you know to address early on is that you know first off I I came to Oxford with no idea what tailgating was all about uh, to be perfectly honest and uh, you know then you know when I, I did finally dive in about a decade after I got here you know it was a landscape of cold chicken tenders and pimento cheese and deviled eggs um, and it, it dawned on me very quickly that. That the, the the food uh, had sort of been surrendered because uh, familial lifestyles um, and the form of the family, you know, have changed so dramatically that you know we don't have the the volume of single income families anymore that give uh, you know a mother or a father the you know the ability to spend two or three days getting food ready for the tailgate um, and to drag it out there and set it up. I mean, our lives are complicated. You know, most families are, you know, two working members, there's soccer games, there's, you know, all the, 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 the after school activity that just sort of leaves you at the doorstep. Uh, okay, hell, we got to remember call Abner's and get a bunch of chicken tenders and then, you know, load up the fermented cheese from Kruger. And, uh, you know, this is just sort of, you know, an illustration of when, when I go out to a tailgate, you know, I want to get after it. And I know that it's easy for me. Uh, when I've got an army of hundreds of guys that work for me that I can go, you know, I need a gallon of this pimento cheese and I need to do this. I need to do that and put together the Indian kebabs and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's just kind of a also meant to be, a, you know, a torch in the dark, uh, you know, for folks that are looking for ideas that are easier to put together, that are uh, that are table stable, uh, you know, sort of throughout a, a game. Um, because we also live in a, you know, in a, in a time when, you know, our, you know, our concerns are so much higher about, you know, God, you can't put chicken salad out and let it sit out all day long. You know, you're going to make everybody sick. Um, when, you know, in reality, you know, we all grew up with, you know, with mayonnaise salad sandwiches that sat in 95 degree lunch boxes for six or seven hours before we actually got to eat them. And, and we're all still here to tell the story. Um, so uh, there's there, there's a little bit of that in there as well. Well, John, everybody um, who knows about John Currents uh, has long known two things. One is that you grew up in New Orleans uh, and you were you were a great chef. You came to Oxford, and as Carol said, you changed the culinary landscape there. But I was very interested to read in your introduction about your time in Virginia at Hampton City Sydney College, where you say you, for the, you, you saw tailgating for the first time as a college student. Uh, it did, and in 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 nineteen in nineteen eighty uh, in the early nineteen eighties, uh, you know, it looked like a scene out of Animal House. Uh, you know, it really was like <laughs> it actually was a 
you know, it was a trip back in time. It really was because it was, you know, all these sort of uh, Norman Rockwellian, you know, family scenes, you know, underneath these these beautiful, uh, you know, evergreens and oaks and this tiny little gravel parking lot that all literally flipped down the the uh, tailgates of their country squires and uh, and 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 woodsided wagoneers and you know and ate cold fried chicken and uh, you know there were there were charcoal grills going and uh, it, it was it was a completely uh, bizarre scene for me having grown up in in uptown New Orleans where there were just house parties when you went to the Tulane games or Saints games because to right in the middle of one of the more affluent um, you know, uptown neighborhoods in New Orleans. And so there was no tailgating. People had house parties. Right. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting history you shared uh, there as well about why the Saints fans and the Tulane fans uh, are not historically uh, tailgaters. And it was about the physical location of Tulane Stadium at that time. That's, that's the truth. Um, so, so Hampton Sydney was just... It was like this little jewel box, uh, you know, for tailgating that was delivered to me. It was such a, a sweet way to be sort of introduced to it. And uh, and then, of course, during college, I, you know, I came down to uh, to Oxford once and was able to to see the Grove sort of immediately prior to um, the eviction of automobiles from the uh, from the Grove itself. Um, and, you know, and that was a spectacular sight. Why there's. There's not I'm sort of astounded that there's not more imagery, you know, of those days when cars were actually parked in the grove, uh, you know, torturing the root systems of all those oak trees. Um, and, you know, and then I jumped from, you know, from there in the early 80s until 1992 when I arrived and, you know, it's an ocean 10 by 10 uh, and, uh, you know, still an unbelievably impressive sight. Uh, there's there's very little that I love more than the look on someone's face when you you cross the old rail bridge coming onto campus and that scene unfolds in front of somebody who's never seen it before. Um, it's literally you know goggle-eyed and, and slack-jawed uh, in a way that is almost indescribable. Yeah, I was one of those people because in my you know, high school and college days, I had a boyfriend who played football at Ole Miss, and his parents would drive up, open the trunk, pull out a card table, put a little tablecloth on it, and, you know, have wonderful food, have fried chicken, pimento cheese, deviled eggs. And when I moved back to Mississippi and heard all these people talking about the Grove, the Grove, the Grove, the Grove, and I just didn't get it. And a few years ago, it was actually the Texas game when all those thousands of Texans came to town. And I came over that bridge and saw the Grove, and it was downright scary. I've never, it was a tent city, bumper to bumper tent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a sight. Well, it really is. I mean, it's so much so that, you know, speaking of Wright uh, Thompson, you know, Wright, Wright for years refused to participate because he wants to be such a traditionalist that um, he insisted on getting a parking spot over by the stadium where there was a little green space that he so that he literally could back his truck up 
uh, in the parking spot to the green space and set up an old school tailgate uh, out in, behind his truck next to the stadium so that he could have a traditional tailgate. And so, you know, we did the work of getting there, setting it up, and at game time, literally breaking everything down, putting it back in the back of the truck, locking it up, and then going to the game. And, uh, you know, until they they, they did a, uh, the, the last stadium expansion, that's that's where we tailgated for years. And it was, it was a wonderful sort of step back in time. But it's one of the things that I, that I love about Wright, that, you know, if he could run around with a fedora with a press pass tucked into the hat band, uh, he'd wear it all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess today is John Currents. We're going to take a break and then come back and dig dig into his brand new book, Tailgrate. Tailgrate. There you go. How to crush it at tailgating. We'll, uh, we'll talk more about John, about his life in Oxford and his restaurants and the people that he feeds during the pandemic. We ask you to stay tuned. If you want to talk to John Currents, feel free to give us a call. If you would like to talk to John or ask a question of Carol, John, or Java or I, the number is 1-877-672-7464. Or we'd be happy to see an email from you at food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. the culture of southern flavor our guest today is john currents from oxford mississippi john is a james beard award-winning chef author of three now three cookbooks three books about food and he owns uh, at least three or four restaurants um and john we are so happy to have you back on the show to talk about your new volume i'm always happy to talk to you guys thank you uh, so John, we, I absolutely love the book. I mean, it's colorful. It The recipes are so different. But there's one recipe I've got to ask you about that's going to be my favorite recipe. T- tell me about Alabama firecrackers with fried chicken salad. <laughs> well... Uh, there, so there's there's two elements there. There's the uh, the, the fried chicken salad, which uh, there was a a short order cafe uh, and bookstore in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that I worked in when I was there, and they they used these uh, these sort of well, I mean, back 30 years ago, uh, I think big truck food had a little more integrity than it does now, and they actually had a pretty decent fried chicken tender that they used. Uh, for a kid's plate. And I used to take those chicken tenders and chop them up and make them into a chicken salad. And it was just always something that, you know, was kitschy and, uh, and folks just kind of glommed onto it, loved it. Um, and so that's just something that's been part of my, you know, in my quiver for years, the, uh, the Alabama firecraft came about at a, uh, at a very ritzy cocktail party, um, 
you know, set uh, the the backdrop was one of the the older homes north lamar boulevard and some very some very fancy food uh that was spread out on a, on a 300 year old dining table and uh and a friend of mine uh showed up with a ziploc bag full of these alabama firecrackers and you know and i just and i, and I was asking i was like what, what in the world is this and she told me oh these are alabama firecrackers i've been making them for years you're gonna love them and i ate one and quite literally sort of cast aside the entire rest of the buffet for this bag of a uh, Ziploc bag full of uh, Alabama firecrackers that were put on a side table. And I just sat there like a troll consuming them, you know, <laughs> with well, a veracity unparalleled by any. You know, re- reading the recipe that I've, I've been really eager to ask you because they're made with a box of saltine crackers. But in the recipe, you have like, uh, a half a cup of olive oil, and you have you know all these different spices. You have uh, buttermilk ranch dressing powder, and then you dump the saltine crackers into the Ziploc bag and and put them there overnight. I mean, don't they turn into a pile of mush? No, you you think that right? And, right, uh, and they really don't. You have to. The minute you start turning them and turning them and turning them, you know all of that that oil and the spices get uh, get distributed amongst that entire box. And the and the, the sidebar in that recipe is that you need two gallon Ziploc bags in order to execute, um, uh, and so that there's enough room for the crackers to all move around. They don't. It's astounding. It's to me, it was like terrifying when I first put it together. I was like, this is going to be a disaster. Um, and, you know, and when I did, uh, you know, it, it was really just sort of super off the charts and the, uh, the buttermilk ranch powder, uh, you know, really came about because I, you know, I don't know what sort of evil, uh, diabolical science they're up to in the hidden Valley, wherever that is, <laughs> uh, there's just something, you know, that, that you cannot describe how wickedly good, uh, that Hidden Valley Ranch powder is, and it's so great for so many things. Um, and and I love that it like it really appalls some people, you know, when 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 I as a James Beard award winning chef will come along, you know, and tell people like, oh, the secret ingredients ranch powder or French's <laughs> yellow mustard, uh, you know, that that just the shock value of that alone, uh, you know, when in reality it's like. Uh, I literally had a moment with Martha Stewart and a pack of her friends in New York one time where they were taking, they were tasting a, a, uh, a chicken confit pate that I had and were all just like, they were trying, they were marveling at, you know, what this flavor was that they just, they couldn't quite put their finger on. And, and, you know, Ms. Stewart asked me, said, what, what is it that makes this so wonderful? It's uh, mustard and uh, they literally all went dead silent slightly pale turned around and walked away without saying another word oh, oh my goodness well john the the firecracker there the Alab- is like, like no go ahead uh, i lost you okay so i was going to ask just one quick follow-up on the alabama firecracker i guess it's a cousin to the yes, to the the saltine that we grew up with at, at cocktail parties that was brushed uh, with oil and vinegar dressing and put in the oven and, and sort of baked is it sort of like that? 
Right. I mean, it's, you know, like all of Alabama, it's slightly less sophisticated than we are. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners in Alabama. I mean, I got, I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I got, I, I got to throw an insult with that camera. Come on. Yeah. Okay, John. Uh, would you? Uh, I, I love, I love, I love the, uh, I, I love the great state of Alabama. I do a lot of business there. Um, I just, I just don't like their football politics. <laughs> right. uh, would you mind if we shared the Alabama firecracker recipe with our uh, online audience? Please, please do. As long as they agree to send, send me an email and tell me how wonderful I am for having yeah. <laughs> and, and go buy a book. But just, you know, one more comment on your fried chicken salad. You said to use leftover fried chicken, and I'm not going to wait that long because I'm going by Popeye's. But mm -hmm. I noticed that a New Orleans guy wrote this recipe because it has blue plate mayonnaise and crystal hot sauce new orleans finest great well hey. it the, 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 those are and you know go ahead go ahead Malcolm. no 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 follow up on that i think that's a fabulous question i'd love to hear what you had to say about that well no i mean if uh my, my one of my editors was was just totally that i had not worked with before on this book um was just flabbergasted and flummoxed by the fact that you know, it called. There are five different kinds of mayonnaise called for throughout the book, um, and she just, she just, she's like, "How can you? I mean, are we? We're literally picking that poo out of pepper, aren't we?" And I said, "No, you just see. This is what you don't understand. I mean, you need blue plate for one thing. You need dupes for lots of other things. You need cupy mayonnaise." Uh, for certain things, you need a particular homemade mayonnaise recipe that I'll provide, uh, you know, for another. Um, but there are different applications that call for different mayonnaise. So, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, a, a, roast, a New Orleans roast beef oh boy um, is not with deuce mayonnaise as it is with. Um, and uh, it's just, it, it is, it's me like definitely reaching back. Uh, you know, into uh, the three or four decades ago, uh, you know, when I fell in love with food first and trying to recapture the very specific flavors that I remember uh, that made things special, uh, you know, when I ate them for the first time. Um, and it's it's the greater challenge for, for chefs right now, um, you know, that, that live in a sphere of nostalgia and are trying to transport people to those places that we came from. Right. So I'm going to ask you to, to delve into the dichotomy of the beef and cheddar uh, hot dog link because it is a very sophisticated recipe and you go into great detail. But before we get there, I just wanted to, to say a, a brief word about the, the writing around the Sloppy Joe and how it seems to me that the Sloppy Joe is the peacemaker in the Currents family. Uh, well, yeah, I, I have, I have two roommates that are enormously difficult to please when it comes to food. Um, when, uh, I think when I met my wife, uh, 20 years ago, uh, she lived on a steady diet of iceberg lettuce and ketchup. Um, 
and and did not venture much farther than that. Um, and now I've got a seven-year-old who uh, will eat pizza and a cheeseburger and then may deign to eat a little bit of, uh, of macaroni and cheese, but we don't go any farther than that uh, at all. And so uh, when, I, when I discovered that, that the Sloppy Joe um, you know, did – it was like the keystone of foods in our family and something that I could make from scratch and that both my wife and my daughter would eat. Um, I mean, I, I dove on it like white on rice. <laughs> All right, let's get into the, um, the hot dog, the beef and cheddar hot dog links and, and your description and, and process for how it has to be prepared. Well, uh, the, the irony is that the that the most challenging recipe from a technical standpoint in the entire book is a hot dog, um, <laughs> which you know, strikes me probably funnier than it does most anybody else. Uh, you know, but you know, I really I wanted to put something in the book that had some real teeth to it as far as you know a, a challenge that you know if somebody really wanted to make something uh, you know super significant and. You know, I, I, I love, you know, a really well applied sausage product. Um, and so, you know, recreating a hot um, from all fresh ingredients, starting from scratch, uh, is, you know, to end up with something as mundane as a hot dog, but put something absolutely transcendent, you know, in front of someone that is, is, is you know, arguably is... Uh, as uh, as bourgeois as a hot dog, you know, is is a great sort of like punch in the psyche. Um, and so, you know, that's and it's a, and it's a great hot dog. I mean, uh, that's that's the you know, the other piece of it. Well, and then there are people. There are two kinds of people: people who love hot dogs and people who don't get it. And I am a hot dog aficionado, right. so I can't wait to use your recipe. Well, I, I know that Malcolm will be cooking those because Malcolm, you used to, you know, you used to worry about whether it would be Hebrew National or Nathan's. That's right. Now you can now you can go into your make your own hot dog business. Absolutely. In your retirement. Yes, that's right. In my retiring days. <laughs> so, John, we know you can't do touring and, and and book signings. How are you dealing with the virtual book talk, book signing, and promotion? Uh, uh, of the book. Um, well, I'm, I'm just sort of, you know, I'm, I'm taking opportunities where, uh, you know, where I can get them. If I'm, if I'm in Birmingham and, you know, books a million, you know, wants to get some book signed for, for signed stock, you know, I'll do that. I'm still waiting for my buddies at Lemuria to call and ask me to stop by and sign some books. Um, uh, you know, of course, sign every time Richard uh, from Square Books gives me a shout and says that he needs a few more signed. And and the wonderful thing is, you know, we we signed a bunch of stock, uh, you know, before right before the book came out for Square Books. And, you know, I'm, I'm already back over there signing more. So uh, the, the book is moving and uh, and I'm just I'm just taking every opportunity that I can get. And so, um, you know, I'm a little bit of a hobbit. You know, uh, you know, as I go anywhere, I'll be in Little Rock later this week. And so uh, I'll call over to Apron Strings and see if while I'm there, they want me to sign some books. Um, right. 
it's a uh, and you know it feel it feels a, a little narcissistic but you know uh, i want this thing to move I, you know it's certainly i don't i don't want to live with you know a poorly timed book that uh you know that 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 doesn't sell as a result of its you know uh consignment to the you know sell, you know dropping during the plague um, you know, I want to I want to keep writing, and and so uh, you know, well, I want to do everything that I can to to help push this thing forward. Well, our guest today is John Currents. John, we certainly appreciate you dialing in and talking to us, sharing uh, a lot of your family stories, your recipes, and your wonderful restaurants in Oxford, Mississippi. John Currents, a brand new book entitled Tailgate: How to Crush It at Tailgating. Yeah. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi. Guys, thank you all very much. We love you, John. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. It's funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. My co-host, Carol Puckett, and I, and our guest today, John Currents, thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey followed by Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. And please join us every Monday at 9 o'clock in the morning for Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio.